Hi gang, Sophia here. Just a little warning before the episode starts that we had a few technical difficulties while recording and had to use the backup audio for this episode, so it's a little rough around the edges. I apologize for the dip in sound quality and I uh, wanted to thank you all for bearing with us. I think this is a really fun episode despite that, and I hope you enjoy it as well. Every single person that Maximus interacts with is like, Hey, Maximus, how's it going? Boy, I sure want to go the fuck back to my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every, every single conversation. Everyone's like, oh, Max, what's how how's, how are you doing? You know, you're a, a great general, a, a respected figure in, in Roman politics. He's like, yes, did you know I have a wife and a son and they're on a farm <laughs> that I would like to go back to? <laughs> Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by my dear friend and uh, also kind of my boss, Blue, from Overly Sarcastic Productions. Blue, Only welcome to the show. Technicalities. Hello, hello. <laughs> it is so good to be here. Uh, I, I was trying and thinking of, of, of what movie I wanted to do for a while, and I wasn't sure, and I was, I was, I was having ideas. I tried to pitch the, uh, the premiere movie of Samurai Jack, and that doesn't count because that is three episodes of a television show that are only mm-hmm, considered mm-hmm. a movie by the loosest of definitions, but I finally, I finally got the one, so I'm very excited to talk about this movie today. Uh, we're excited to have you here. Uh, yes, I did. I did have to shoot down your first idea because it, it wasn't a movie. There's there's really only like one limitation on what you can pick on this show, and so I had to uphold the one rule that we've got. <laughs> but I think we landed on something really fun. You know, every you know every every week I bring on a different guest here on the show, and they pick a different movie, and I ask them the same question. And I'm interested to hear your answer on this one uh, because Gladiator from 2000, yes. and uh, you know, Blue, why did we watch Gladiator? We watched Gladiator. Because I I took entirely too long to realize that this movie is so goddamn good. Not just because it's like cool <laughs> kick-ass action, but because despite the fact that on paper it is not historically accurate to like the letter of the history at all, it is so fucking perfectly accurate to the spirit of Roman history that it is mm. so perfect for a not only just a watching experience but as a historical exercise it is so goddamn entertaining but also so goddamn informative it's great and since i am am doing uh, a video on roman history right now it was in my mind and like a flash of divine inspiration i thought oh, that's it and then i was like okay indigo i got this great <laughs> idea and then off we went um but yeah it is it is such a good piece of historical media in a field where most historical media is garbage. This one slaps. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we will jump into this uh, fun and funky tale from the past. Um, we know that it's a tale from the past because when we open, everything is in sepia. As the DreamWorks oh, yeah. logo <laughs> comes yeah, up on screen. Like, <laughs> Zack Snyder's like furiously taking notes. <laughs> Watch all the colors out. The color correction in this movie across the board is a little uh, funky, and for the most part it works, but there's a few moments where uh, you can practically see the saturation bar being raised little by little when they come from scene to scene. Um, but, you know, it's nice to have a, a look. Yeah, it it definitely hits the aesthetic very well, and everything being kind of washed out fits the the sort of like, you know, you got the, the, the amber tones or like the sand of the Colosseum, and 
all of the other scenes that are basically like gray. Uh, it has that <laughs> nice little, little marbly shine to it. So uh, the cool and warm tones end up playing off each other uh, fairly nicely. I'm sure you can do some like every frame of painting, like deep cinema analysis to, to figure that out. But uh, it, it fits the theme. It works. It works. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we, we watched a few titles go by, like a lot of titles go by, uh, and get open on this hand rustling through a field of wheat. And of course, Russell Crowe, uh, Javert himself, looks up dramatically after walking for quite a while. It took me a long time to stop thinking like, oh, they're going to sing in this movie, because I logically know that they're not going to sing in this movie. Oh I God, understand. Can you imagine a, a cut of Gladiator <laughs> where they sing? <laughs> Do not forget I can't. me. Emperor Commodus. <laughs> God, God, I would pay so me, much to see cowards. that movie. <laughs> I mean, if you're gonna cast Russell Crowe, why not? Um, what a waste! <laughs> what a what a freaking waste! But he's he's playing our, our lead here, Maximus, um, and he takes a minute to to ponder a bird nearby before walking over the uh, burned fields of Germania. Is they? Yeah. Chiron that pops up tells us where we are. Yeah, um, it's uh, it's just like vaguely somewhere, uh, somewhere on the border of Germania. The way they frame it is not strictly accurate because they're like, oh, this is Marcus Aurelius's final battle against the Germans. Eh, no, the Germans were a constant threat. <laughs> if beating them in one battle was all it took, they would not have been a problem for four straight centuries. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah I'm they're, glad they're they're in Germany. <laughs> Good because I, I I do not have a strong background in. Roman history, so I'm very glad that you are my guest for this particular movie because uh, I'm counting. On, I'm going to be leaning on Blue's uh, historical uh, yeah. knowledge here yeah, to yeah. fill in some of the gaps. Russell Crowe, aka Maximus, is walking through a camp of Roman soldiers who uh, are saluting and bowing to him as he passes by. So we know that he's a big deal here amongst the troops. And as he and Quintus are talking, um, a a lone horse with a beheaded rider approaches their camp. Uh, they understand that the Germanics who begin to jeer at the Roman army, were not going to make peace, and they would have to fight after all. Um, yeah, no, and actually, uh, one, one fun cinema fact is uh, the chant that the that the Germanic people um, are are chanting is actually sampled from uh, the movie Zulu. Uh, so <laughs> these, these <laughs> like, you know, second century Germans uh, are basically, you know, doing a 18th century, like, far southern African war chant. And it, it obviously <laughs> makes no sense, but it fits the vibe, uh, and that's kind of all that they're going for in this scene. And it is really cool that it, that it um, just the way that the scene plays out, you see the, the contrast of the Romans where everything is methodical, everything is planned out to one of the guys mm -hmm. saying, oh, move those move those catapults up forward, they're, they're far out of range, Maximus is like, no, 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 range is good. Uh, so every single little detail is planned out, and they have everything prepared where they give a very simple command, and everything is is ready and in place with the fire arrows and all that shit. It's it's super cool to see the the organization of the Romans versus all of these German guys who come running out of the woods. Um, you know, not the most organized, but more organized than their uh, than their their predecessors, just ready to fucking throw down. Um, so it, <laughs> it is a very good encapsulation of the kind of war that Rome was fighting in that far north where the Romans are, you know, this big thing and the Germans can come out of any forest kind of at any time. And suddenly there's an army there that you didn't see there a minute ago. That was the reason <laughs> they were so scary. Spooky. 
Uh, yeah, I think this this scene does a lot of good work um, in the character department, too, because it it's a moment for us to kind of understand, like, who is this guy that we're going to be following for two and a half hours? Who's Maximus? Why why do we care about him? Uh, and he kind of has this ease of command when, when he's giving orders. He's obviously like a natural sort of tactician from the comment you made earlier, you know, about some uh, Quintus is like, oh, move the catapults up. And he's like, no, 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 the range is good um, to everyone sort of. I mean, he's the general of the army, we'll later learn, but also everyone is following his orders without really complaint, uh, and he's also able to ride off to inspire the cavalry to spur them into action. We'll get a lot of um, speeches before battle in this movie, and the first one's coming up pretty quickly. He's a real, he's a real speechy guy. <laughs> real, like, everyone uh, in this movie like is a speechy guy. <laughs> got, you know, five minutes of, of podium time to themselves, they could go just on and on. <laughs> Oh, yes. Uh, he also takes the time to stare at a dog a lot throughout this battle. There's this one dog that's, like, just kind of there throughout the whole battle. And I I was so sure that that dog was going to be important in the rest of the movie. No. Yeah, I, no, no, I no. This is his only no scene. I what was going on with that. I'm like, it's not his dog. I don't I don't know why they're <laughs> focusing on it so much. I was very confused when I was rewatching yeah. this. I'm like, what's up with the dog? <laughs> I'm like, is the dog supposed to be him? Is it, like a metaphorical dog is he imagining no the dog is just like a, a dog that's there like it's just someone's dog and as far as i can tell he survives the battle so i guess Roman he's doggy a strong daycare is dog. really expensive so maximus just had to take him to work <laughs> uh so uh you know, Maximus goes off into the woods with the cavalry. They're sort of planning this pincher attack before the battle begins, and he, he gives them a pep talk about how they have to hold the line, and what they do in life is going to echo in eternity, which is the first of many times when someone will talk about how it doesn't matter if they die because the afterlife is waiting, and it's sort of like a... I, use, I expect speeches like this to happen before, like, Valhalla is mentioned most of the time. I, I've never really associated it with, like, Elise, the Fields of Elysium, which is what they're in reference to in the... Uh, Roman equivalent. So it's it's the same concept. <laughs> yeah. Enough, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. But uh, one of the fun things is that in the uh, in the cavalry charge, the music that plays is actually the first draft of the famous Pirates of the Caribbean music. Um, it's it's <laughs> Wait, essentially really? the exact same tune, uh, and it was used as temp music when scoring Pirates of the Caribbean. So, like the famous song from that one is just someone's like riff on the uh, the gladiator theme. <laughs> That is excellent. Yeah. Oh, that's that's kind of fun facts we're looking for. Uh, also, the dog does charge with the cavalry after Maximus gives his big speech, which, again, the dog's not important after this scene, but he's a good boy to all of us. He's a good boy. <laughs> yeah. As the, the battle kind of kicks off, there is uh, um, a man in very, like, ornate purple, old an old man in very ornate purple robes kind of watching from a distance that we cut to periodically. We understand that he's important, but we don't know who he is yet. So the Romans begin to advance. They do, um, and Blue, you're going to have to fill me in on the name for these tactics, but they do like the shield turtle line. Yeah, that, yeah, no, it's a, a testunum formation. Uh, mm -hmm. It works. It's a thing. It's a thing in the, uh, the cavalry charge from the side. I don't know if it was used much in Germania because charging cavalry through the woods is kind of really fucking hard. Uh, so that probably wasn't the most popular mm -hmm. tactic while on the northern frontier. Um, but it is definitely a thing that Romans did, and the Byzantines were famous for it. So it's a little bit of a theme, is they're kind of smushing together a lot of Roman tropes into one space, and the cavalry mm -hmm. charge is a sort of a, uh, the, the first example uh, of, of that, where it's like, is it accurate to this moment in history, like 180 AD, that they're talking about? No? 
But it is very Roman, so it gets to go in. <laughs> <laughs> and the fire catapult, yes, it... I, that cannot be correct. That's just like, that's just projecting <laughs> forward to Greek fire. That is, I, I don't know for a fact that it's bullshit, but it really seems bullshit. <laughs> it may not be technically correct, but it is very good fun to look at. So the, yes. the fighting kind of kicks off, you know, we get the cavalry charge behind and the uh, infantry marching up from the front with the flaming catapults supporting them and we kind of get into the first of a series of um battle scenes that we'll get throughout the movie where it's it's the fight choreography starts off really interesting you know it's um almost like a, a game of thrones battle of the bastard style fight there's a lot of complex moves and sort of combat going on on uh, several planes and then midway through the battle uh, it goes into a sort of confusingly shot slow-mo heavily disoriented um they ran out of budget <laughs> one of the cameras got messed up so they're like oh no this footage <laughs> is really blurry no 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 just slow it down it'll be artsy <laughs> yeah i'm trying to think of the best way to describe it because it's definitely done i think intentionally for artistic effect but in a movie with so many other extremely well choreographed fight scenes it sort of just took me out of it for a minute to so quickly move to the battle is intense and now we will show the intensity by blurring everything yeah they they really they really spent everything they had in that shot on the, the first half of the battle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the rest of it's like, ah, okay, you get the picture. <laughs> but it, the, the, the overall effect is still, exactly. still pretty impressive. You get the sense that it's like, yeah, it's a bloody mess. And like, obviously it's not an easy process, but like the Romans are clearly outgunning these guys. <laughs> and if you just give the Romans time, they eventually <laughs> will, will stomp on you. <laughs> and that'll be that. And stomp they do. We, the Romans emerge victorious from the battle. They start to cheer, and the uh, old man in purple does sighs of, sighs of relief. Uh, later, we kind of cut away from the battle for a bit into a carriage where Commodus and some ladies, one of whom we'll later find out is Lucilla, his sister, um, are en route to the fighting locale in unnamed Germania. <laughs> Commodus is... Uh, sure that he's going to be named something or other. We later learn that he's anticipating being named the uh, emperor after his father and kind of foreshadows here that he's planning on holding some grand game of some sort um, once he is named emperor. He, he takes Once they, they reach their destination, he does take off for the front in order to find the Roman emperor, the Caesar, if you will, uh, as they will call him several times throughout the movie. And of course, the emperor yeah, that we Caesar, are referring to. Uh, at this to, point, Caesar is yeah. just a title. Um, but yeah, now they established Commodus pretty well out of the gate where it's like, yeah, my awesome dad who totally loves me so much and is gonna, gonna <laughs> name me, uh, the Empire and I'm gonna hold games cause I love my dad so much. Uh, and then a couple scenes later, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. I kind of felt bad for him for a little bit for the oh, first yeah. half of the movie. I was like, yeah. oh, it kind of just seems like his his dad has been very bad at get it, building his relationship with his son. That's why a lot of the problems in this movie are happening. Not so much that, you know. <laughs> yeah, Commodus is like, an extremely compelling, tragic figure. Like, he, mm -hmm. his life has, obviously, he, you know, is the son of the emperor, lives a life of luxury. But, like, emotionally, 
his life is horrible, <laughs> basically from the start for reasons that we'll, we'll see later. But he's really, really well established and a very compelling character um, because he's he's clearly not a dunce. He, he like he knows what's up. He's he's very astute. He's like, well, we wouldn't get called out here for nothing unless our dad was, you know, getting real, getting real sick, uh, feeling like he's coming to the end of it. So uh, he's he's no mm -hmm. he's no dumb boy. And that becomes part of what makes him such a terrifying villain later on. Yes. Uh, he's definitely a thoughtful villain in many ways. Um, so as he heads off to find his father, his father is having a conversation with Maximus. Um, the emperor asks how he could reward Rome's greatest general, which of course in this case is Maximus, uh, and Maximus just asks to go home. His, his driving motivation throughout this movie is the desire to return home to his wife and child, which with a, a, a movie about... <laughs> But a gladiator with a two and a half hour runtime. We'll That's, see how that goes for Maximus. Yeah, boy. But actually, it's it, it is at a very standard character archetype for the soldier who really just wants to be a farmer, because in the mm -hmm. in the early history of the empire, basically the deal of military service is you serve the empire for ten, fifteen, or twenty years. And then you get a farm. We will just give you a farm afterward, and that's your reward for military service. So mm. every soldier is like, I just got to get wait this out, get my retirement, get my farm, <laughs> and I'm set. So Commodus, or not Commodus, uh, Maximus, all these Romans sound the fucking same. Uh, Maximus <laughs> being uh, you know, a general who has a farm and just wants to go back to his farm uh, is a very, very standard uh, character archetype and character motivation throughout all of Roman history. So that's another like, like textbook Rome thing that they do right there, which, mm -hmm. is, which is very cool. And yeah, uh, it's a movie called Gladiator. Guy with the wife and kids is not gonna, <laughs> not gonna have the best. Yeah, I'll give you uh, a, the best end of the first act. <laughs> give the audience one good bet as to what he's gonna end up doing instead of going home <laughs> later yeah. on. Yeah. Um, uh, as Maximus and uh, the Emperor are talking, Commodus arrives. He goes through all these like very formal greetings with his father, uh, but he also makes note of the fact that his father seems to be closer with Maximus than him. He, he engages him on friendly yeah. ground as they are talking, and this is our first hint that um, these two are going to be sort of rival figures. That night, Maximus is chatting with his buddies and some senators before um, Commodus pulls him aside and asks him, to not get too comfortable, he may be calling on him once he's emperor, trying yeah. to kind of feel out what he's going to do. The interesting thing in that scene that they that they established uh, pretty directly is this theme where Commodus is like, oh, those senators, them talking about their republic, absolutely, completely never going to happen. Uh, that you would find a senator talking about how great a republic would be within earshot of the fucking son of the emperor. <laughs> that senator <laughs> would have his head on a pike within minutes. So obviously they need to set up the core, like, philosophical question of the movie of, like, oh, republic v. empire, but so mm -hmm. completely inaccurate to 180 AD Rome, by which point... The Empire is a fact and is not going anywhere. And even still, like, the concept of seeing the Republic as a different thing from the Empire is is completely arbitrary. Like, we historically look back as like, oh, there was the Roman Republic and then there was the Roman Empire. But the people of Rome saw a continuous 
political system that went through some changes, but it was the same society. It was the same instruments of government. And sure, there were there were some changes after Augustus came along, but they didn't see this clean break as like the Republic is something different from the Empire. Because the Romans would have thought that they had an Empire long before Augustus came along. It's just the position of the Emperor being the guy who is the consul at the same time as the top general, as the same time as the highest priest, as the same time as, you know, everything else, that is is what was new. But this idea mm. of, like, Republic v. Empire is not only inaccurate to, you know, the 180s AD, it's a, a question much more pertinent to, like, Caesar and Augustus and, like, the, like the 50s, 40s, 30s, and, like, 20s BC, but that question never would have been asked by any Romans, so completely not true to the letter of the history but it does encapsulate the spirit of like there are two Romes kind of like philosophically in conflict with each other um even though they they superimpose it at a point in history in which this never would have been a topic of discussion the way that they're framing it but it is very <laughs> cool yeah uh and just sort of like to note in this opening sequence this is the first 30 so minutes of the movie we get a lot of backstory is the wrong word, but a lot of establishing who our major players are going to be yeah. before the inciting incident of the movie. And if you are just watching casually, it can be a little bit tricky to keep track of what's happening. I think one of the things that this movie does that maybe didn't work for me too well is we get a lot of the same information in multiple ways about Maximus, yeah. but not a lot of information about everyone around him. Yeah. Like, we're going to really, by the end of this first 30 minutes, we're going to really know that Maximus wants to go home. He has a <laughs> wife and a son, and gosh darn it, he wants to go home to his wife and son and his farm. Yeah, yeah we also, really do, like, yeah. every single person that Maximus interacts with is like, Hey, Maximus, how's it going? Boy, I sure want to go the fuck back to my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every, every, every conversation. single conversation. Everyone's like, oh, Max, what's how how's, how you doing? You know, you're a, a great general, a, a respected figure in, in Roman politics. He's like, yes, did you know I have a wife and a son and they're on a farm that I would like to go back to? <laughs> it's like, oh boy, Maximus, lovely weather we're having. It's better in Hispania. You know how I know? Because that's where my fucking farm is that I want to go to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, was it two years, uh, 264 days in this morning? Jesus Christ, yep. Maximus. <laughs> Chill out, Max, dog. <laughs> dude, he, I mean, I don't... He wouldn't have been... He was a general, so he wouldn't have been, like, drafted. Would he have been? Like, he would have had to take in a commission or something? I'm not totally sure how the... He, I, I don't know the specific mechanics of how that works, but, like, he would have been out in the field for a while. I don't know if, if two and a half years would have been standard, um, but if he was, you know, with the the Felix Legions, that would have been his posting. Uh, and even Marcus Aurelius was, like, famously on the front for years and years and years instead of being in Rome. And him being, that, we'll get to this in a second, him being, like, the philosopher emperor. We have so many writings where Marcus Aurelius is like, being emperor sucks. I hate it. I'm in Germania all the goddamn time. <laughs> all I have to do is fight these fucking Germans. I just want to, like, I would rather be a slave because then I don't have to worry about all this shit. There's so much pressure on me. <laughs> I'd rather be starving in an alley than have all this responsibility. <laughs> um, so Marcus Aurelius also hates being in Germania, but he's smart enough and responsible enough to know that he has to do that for the good of the Empire. Um, except you wouldn't get the sense of that because this movie's Marcus Aurelius is a moron and he is a blunt instrument. <laughs> he is yeah, such a, he's a dumbass in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of Marcus, you know, he chats with his daughter a little bit. Um, Lucila, who we saw briefly in the carriage earlier about how she'll need to support her brother, 
in the coming days. They seem to have an okay relationship. They have a throwaway line about how, you know, for just a moment, they're going to pretend to be a loving a loving daughter and father. And so we get the hint that maybe his relationship with his children is not great. Uh, <laughs> shocking. Yeah. So the next day, Maximus is surveying his troops and his camp. He's sort of walking along. He pets so many things. He pets a horse. He pets a dog. He pets a man who is injured. It's... It was shocking to me how many things in this camp they found for him to pet. But uh, <laughs> after he finishes walking around camp, touching everything, uh, he, he walks in to talk to the emperor, um, who's writing something or other. Uh, for a while there, the Caesar kind of waxes poetic about how he built an empire, but he suffered experiencing only war to do so. And we're like, okay, so nobody wants to be here in Germania. So why is anybody <laughs> in Germania? <laughs> We yeah. all, everyone's just trying to go, it's um getting back to Jakku from the new Star Wars trilogy, oh except God. getting back to... <laughs> Why does everyone want to go to Germania? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, the Emperor sort of requests Maximus talk with him, and, um, you know, he, he seems to be pretty down on the fighting itself. Maximus is a little bit taken aback that he's so adamant that the, that his legions of soldiers fought and died for nothing, saying that no, no, they fought for Rome, and the emperor talks about how he wants to give Rome back to her true self, and so now we're learning that the conflict of this movie is actually that, like, Rome needs to go back to the good old days or something or other. And once again, talk about Max's home and his yeah. son, a simple place that smells real nice, and he had so many crops, and he listed all of them, and, like, they were all crops different kinds of side. trees. Yeah, <laughs> And also just, like, the idea that Marcus Aurelius would want to make Rome a republic again is absolutely bullshit. There... Nothing even close to that is uh, attested by anything that we have from Marcus Aurelius. There is no reason an emperor would think, yeah, it's a good idea to make Rome a republic again, because he's coming on the tail end of five really good emperors who are all very good at their jobs and made mm -hmm. Rome a lot better off than they found it. So for someone in the position of Marcus Aurelius to look at the state of Rome over the past 60 years and think, nah... This is bad. It's like you're at the absolute peak of Roman prosperity. You would never think to give Rome back to the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think something that this movie... Th this is a long movie, and a lot is a put into movie. it. But there's a lot of, like, long contemplative shots. And I, I kind of would have appreciated if maybe instead of the sixth or so shot of a hand walking through a field of grain, we had maybe gotten a little bit of insight into the state of affairs in Rome. Because... We get a lot of the, like, top-down perspective, but yeah. we don't see a lot of just, like, life on the streets or no. how people actually perceive the Senate and the Emperor. We get a lot more um, kind of treating the Roman citizenry as just, like, an audience in the Colosseum and that's it. Yeah, and that, so much of this movie revolves... Thing. Rome yeah. only exists in the abstract, which I think is a deliberate mm -hmm. choice and actually ends up making some interesting thematic points, but you do not see any named Roman citizen who is not a senator or a member of the royal family mm -hmm. or a general. <laughs> um, like, there are no named soldiers. Uh, there are no named citizens. Uh, the, the gladiators are all slaves, so they don't count. Uh, Roman people only exist as an abstract, unknowable mob and that that becomes interesting later on it actually ends up serving some points um but yeah uh the focus that this movie shows and the the angle that this movie looks at roman society through is 
very, very odd and very, very narrow and specific. It's like, it's not like the male gaze. It's like the <laughs> strategic geopolitical gaze. <laughs> and the gladiatorial gaze. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's the risk approach to movie making. You know, you're going to be playing yeah. this game yeah, for yeah. seven hours. And it, it sort of only matters in, you know, terms of geography. So Maximus and uh, the Emperor are talking. And of course, we get to the, the crux of the movie here, the... the thing that is going to cause Maximus all the problems and keep him from going home to his his wife and child on their farm, which has many different crops, as we mentioned before. The emperor says, you know, I don't want my son to be the next emperor. I'd like you to be the protector of Rome after I die. Uh, Maximus is super taken aback and, like, initially turns him down, but the emperor says, you know, it has to be you because you're not corrupted by politics. And again, at this point in the movie, we haven't seen that much politics, but we have to assume that it's bad because it's politics, I guess. Yeah. The Emperor is, like, really down on Commodus, his son. He's like, he's not moral, he can't rule, yada, yada, yada. And that because Maximus commands the loyalty of the army, his son will have to accept him. But Maximus is like, I, dude, this is a lot, and it feels like you and your son have some issues to work out before you kick the bucket, so I'm going to go think about this for a while. And he sort of, like, trudges off Just to go right, have a dramatic moment like a in the woods. problem. <laughs> So much of this problem does feel like if Commodus and his father had, like, just a little bit worked on their relationship instead of whatever else they've both been doing, maybe we wouldn't be in this situation, but, you know. Yeah. And you can see why, like, you know, Marcus Aurelius is basically gone for the entirety of Commodus' childhood. He was in, off in Germania. Yeah. So, like, even though it is implied that... Commodus and uh, Lucilla and Maximus all kind of grew up together, and Lucilla and Maximus maybe banged. Um, mm -hmm. That, like, <laughs> Marcus Aurelius just spent a lot more time with Maximus, and naturally, because of how great he was as a general, how useful he's been to Rome, grows to, to trust him more. But yeah, that, uh, that gets explored in the next scene, doesn't it? <laughs> it does, because as Maximus goes and wanders off, um, he runs into woman whose name I always forget, Lucilla. I cannot remember her name to save my life. And uh, they sort of talk about their respective families. We learn that she's a widow, which has an eight-year-old son named Lucius. Uh, and once again, we get to learn that Maximus does have a family, a, a wife and a son who are on a farm that he really wants to get back to. <laughs> and he goes to praise to them and gets and sees then sees visions of his wife and son who are on a yeah. farm with lots of crops mm -hmm. that he would like to get back to. Uh, and he... He asks his, his buddy, his, his servant Cicero, to, to grab him a drink. And as they're chatting, he's like, you know, I might not actually be able to go home to my wife and son on that farm with all the crops that I really want to go back to <laughs> after all. But before he can give his decision, we cut to uh, Commodus in the Emperor's tent. He's staring at this dramatic bust of his old man. Um, and his father arrives to tell him that he's going to make Rome a republic again with Maximus as the emperor, not Commodus. Um, and Commodus does not take this well. He's definitely disappointed, and he, he looks genuinely, like, torn up inside. Yeah. Like, this and is... It's interesting, because there's a progression. At first, uh, Marcus Aurelius says, it's not going to be you, and Commodus says, what older, wiser man is to take your place? And he's like, oh, okay, maybe this is like a temporary deal. Maybe, mm -hmm. I'm, just, maybe I'm just waiting. I, I, maybe I'm not ready yet. Okay, okay. Right. And then when Marcus Aurelius is like Maximus, Commodus is like, oh, okay. Yeah. So that's how it is. And then you see the, the spiral start to, start to begin. Uh -huh. They sort of like go from talking about how Commodus is not qualified to like 
Commodus was never enough for his father and their poor father-son relationship. Uh, And while his dad is kind of like apologizing for the way he's treated his son uh, on his knees, they they seem like they're going to be hugging it out. Then the music gets super tense and Commodus, instead of um, hugging his father, uh, strangles him to death. Um, And... (laughs) It's we shot really well when they cut up to uh, when they they um they like pan the camera over to the the bust uh, of Marcus Aurelius like dramatically mm-hmm. underlit uh, <laughs> as as the old man's getting strangled. Uh, mm, that that's good. It's that's so good spooky. cinema. Yeah, um, uh, and, and it, is, so- it is cool because like you see Commodus like laying out his motivations very painfully clearly. Where it's like all oh, I yes. wanted was you to hug me once if I felt, what was it? If you hugged me and pressed my head to your chest, it would be the sun on my face for a thousand years. Oh my God. That's heartbreaking. Yeah. This is why it was really hard for me to like. (laughs) And and Marcus is just so bad. (laughs) Yeah. That was part of what made it really hard for me to treat Commodus as a villain. I think for the first half of this movie, because he does, he, he he takes this step of killing his father and immediately spirals into full-on, like, big bad evil guy territory. But his initial motivation is so sympathetic that it, I was like, wow, I jeez, dude, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm, I'm really... <laughs> yeah. that's, that's rough, buddy. And, and the only way to make Commodus into a tragic figure is to make Marcus Aurelius a horrible father, which is mm-hmm. not the craziest of a stretch because historically the man was up in Germania the whole time. He really wouldn't have seen his son that often, but like could have called him up to the front, could have had him take notes on how to be a general. Like there, there are ways he could have done it, but yeah. the idea that Marcus Aurelius passes over his own son and then is confused when he is upset is what's like, yeah. Oh my God, you monumental, colossal, towering dumbass. How are like, you this daft? <laughs> How why, and why did you tell him when the two of you were alone? What did you think was going to happen when you yeah. told him that you were passing him up? Because you didn't. Like, it's not. No one else knows except for Maximus, who, as we're about to find out, yeah. is not going to take it well either. So Maximus is called in to see the emperor, uh, but when he walks in, he finds out the emperor is now Commodus, who asks him to lament the death of his father with him. Uh, Commodus says that the old man died in his sleep before ax- asking Maximus for his loyalty as the new emperor, but Maximus does not his shake his at hand. Four thirty p.m. <laughs> <laughs> It was a nap. You know You know how yeah. old people like to nap. But Maximus does not swear allegiance to the new emperor and instead um, heads out and starts getting into his armor. The um, sister does slap her brother before declaring him emperor, so they have a little bit of an uneasy alliance going on. Yeah. So as Maximus is getting into his armor, Cicero overhears him declare that the emperor has been slain. Uh, but before he can do anything about it, Quintus appears and arrests him and takes him away from camp to be executed threatening that his family will meet him in the afterlife. Oh no, you remember that wife and son on the farm that he's so proud of? Yeah. Oops. Oh no, not his family, his <laughs> wife and son, and on their farm with the, all the crops that he wanted to go back to so badly. Maximus is taken out into the woods, and as he is about to be slain, he he requests that he be killed like a soldier, uh, and uses the adjusted placement of the sword to then... Uh, make a break for it. He he kind of takes out the two guys who are trying to uh, execute him, steals the sword, steals some horses, and makes a run for it out over the plains of Germania, wherever that may be, 
towards wherever his family farm is, somewhere in basically, Spain, I think. He, yeah, he basically just rides across France diagonally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, ambiguous, like, plains, hills, and mountains. <laughs> yeah, probably all within, um, the like, sword... three square feet of each other in Southern California. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, the sword sound effects for this scene, I just wanted to note, are really nice. Like, they're not realistic, but they make some very satisfying, like, swings and things. Um... And I really love, I love them. They, they don't consistent throughout the movie, but this one scene where he's, he's trying to make his escape from the uh, soldiers who have him taken to be executed, they're very prominent. He does a couple like sword throws in the scene where you can really hear it. Um, yeah, you, you really see it go. It's like Kratos' axe in the new God of War. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's also cool because he has a lot of like tactical knowledge where the other guy's mm-hmm. sword gets stuck because of the frost, and Maximus is like, oh... You dumb fuck. Uh, I'm going to get you. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh, so you shouldn't it, have done that. Yeah, time and time again, the, the movie manages to demonstrate how terrifyingly smart uh, Maximus is tactically. Yes. Um, both on macro scale and uh, moment to moment of a fight. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it is very good characterization, uh, basically, at every point. Yes. Uh, and so he, he manages to escape from this, this fight. And he rides for what we have to assume are days and nights with an injury in his shoulder, making it difficult for him to continue his journey. And we kind of cross cut between him on his horse riding desperately towards the farm that he always wanted to return to where his wife and son and all their crops are. Uh, and his wife and son and all of their crops in fields of grain as their family farm is approached by a group of soldiers. At first, the young boy expects that his father is among them, but the woman quickly realizes that no, that those soldiers are not here with her husband. Oh, no, no, no. This is yeah. ominous. Um, yeah, they're, they're dressed in black and purple. Those are Praetorians. You never want to see Praetorians in your day-to-day. <laughs> mm, this is not good. Yeah. Um, so we kind of like cross-cut between that. We're not quite sure what happens until eventually Maximus does arrive on the very path that he's been seeing in his visions of his home and his horse collapses. Uh, as he ar- walks through kind of like burnt fields of grain and like corpses, uh, he, he finds... <laughs> <laughs> not the crops so there were some chickens that were alive uh, he walks past some chickens and falls to his knees in front of his wife and son that he son that he so desperately wanted to return to hung from the entrance of their home it's very tragic um he sort of mourns buries them and as he he lays unconscious in front of their graves is taken in his sleep by some dude speaking a foreign language maximus kind of has another one of those like this this is the second instance of uh, Maximus's hazy vision quests where he sort of just like is half seeing what's going on around him and half seeing his wife and son and home as he's <laughs> carted through the desert by yeah, some a dude lot of shots of Maximus uh, like parallax scrolling uh, top down over, over a field <laughs> of, of like dirt and sand. Really weird yeah. cinematography choice, but yeah. I, I, guess it, I really it like the way like... that the beginning of this movie works because they, they they take a lot of time to establish everything and boy do mm-hmm. they establish everything uh, and the rest of it just like you really just get to kind of watch it play out now that all the dominoes have been set and you knock them over and it's like okay Maximus is a slave he has a uh, a blindingly clear motivation <laughs> blinding with rage <laughs> I should say um, yes uh, and now it's just a matter of like all right go <laughs> and the rest yep, of the movie we got just, everyone like, into place really zooms ahead from from this point mm-hmm. I, I, I will give the movie credit uh so this one best picture in like 2001 right 
Um, and I, I recently embarked on a journey earlier last year to watch every single Best Picture winner in order. And a lot of Best Picture winners have run times of nearly three hours. This movie yeah. is not an exception to that. No. But unlike movies like Ben-Hur, which are very similar in terms of like what's happening on screen, um, this one actually felt like they were making good use of that runtime yeah. and it didn't also didn't feel like I was sitting and watching it for two and a half hours. I was pretty pulled into the story, which mm-hmm. is props to them because two and yeah. a half hours is a long time to tell any story. Mm-hmm. Um, much less one that is functionally, I mean, there's a lot of like complex background that you need to understand what's going on in this, but the actual core story is not that difficult to follow. Like no. man wants revenge for his wife and son and farm with all its crops that was killed and destroyed that he when he tried to go back to them. And the person he wants revenge on is the emperor. So there you go. So I, I give them credit for, you know, at least making it a brisk two and a half hours, even if um, sometimes I wasn't quite following the political machinations in the background. But again, I don't have a strong background in Roman history, so I don't know if maybe that made it uh, a little bit clearer what was happening during some of the little side conversations they would cut to from time to time. It's, for for someone who has more of the background in Roman history, it's, it's pretty, like, standard Roman history topics that they're working their way through. But of course, you know, it's, it, it's pretty unfamiliar uh, to a casual viewer, so uh, I think it's a, it's a good thing that they that they made all of those interludes fairly brisk. So like the scene where Commodus is in the Senate, uh, there's like ah mm-hmm. oh, the 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 bread and stuff, and Commodus is like you corrupt idiot dummies who don't know what you're talking about, and all you do is yada yada yada. It's like okay, now that that makes sense, like I I, I know the corrupt politician trope, I know the, the do nothing <laughs> bureaucrat trope. I I can kind of get into this, mm-hmm. so. Uh, I at least for me the the politics all kind of flowed fairly well and made sense within the context of what else is happening in the movie. Uh, there are some things that we'll get to a little bit later of how they try to tie the political fate of Rome to what's going on in the arena and how that is kind of a tenuous connection at best, but isn't yeah. actually baseless, which is pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I, we don't need to, to, to go through the rest of the plot as uh, <laughs> as methodically as we went through the beginning, because the beginning is really where a lot of the, like, the specific stuff happens, but the rest of the plot is just like following these threads through their logical conclusions. Um, but it's good. It, it's, yeah. it's cool. You, you see a lot of different stuff, and I like that they, mm-hmm. that, you know, like this next section of the movie, um, it takes place simultaneously in Rome with the Commodus plot line, and then down in um, what's modern-day Algeria and North Africa for the beginning of the Maximus plot line. Uh, and it's cool because, like, you have, you know, you got Rome, you got North Africa, you got Germania, you got uh, the, the war with the barbarians, you've got the politics, you've got the imperial family, you've got the gladiators, you've got a coup, you've got, like, really all of the Roman bases kind of, like, happening <laughs> all at once here. So that's, you can check that's them all pretty off neat that they, that they incorporate, you know, all of these disparate elements into one surprisingly cohesive narrative given how many different plot lines they're juggling and sure they have to you know they have to as we'll see they have to bend a little bit of the uh, the the historical narrative to to make it work but all of it is very true to the spirit of roman history it's just that they're taking things that are like Mm -hmm. this is a plot line from this century this is more of a plot line from this other century this is more of a plot line from this entirely unrelated thing that has nothing to do with gladiators and they throw it together and it fits so you get a real good like wide-ranging picture of all the things that Rome was, uh, even if we don't see uh, an actual citizen uh, doing anything (laughs) actual (laughs) citizen-like. 
It's about the spirit of Rome, not the people of Rome, which I guess is kind of the theme of the movie. Yeah, um, yeah. Speaking of Rome, that's not where Maximus is. He's at a place that a Chiron helpfully informs us is Zucabar, Zuchabar, Zucabar. I'm going to go with. It's um, uh, they incorrectly identify it as a province, and it was a city within uh, within one of the provinces of uh, uh, Mauritania. Huh. Um, but yeah, I looked at that like, to the the blue province. Wait a minute, <laughs> and I was like, in the movie Gladiator, they incorrectly attribute it as a province when it's really a city. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, fine, that makes sense. Yeah, we we see a a merchant named Proximo, uh, and and another merchant are chatting about some gay giraffes that were sold to Proximo before, and the dude's yes. like, look, I'll give you. <laughs> that is the uh, the actual dialogue is about how um, he was sold these two giraffes and they won't mate, and I'm like, this is excellent. This is exactly the kind of high tier machinations and plot relevant information that I was looking for from this scene. So the merchant's like, oh, you know, I, I might have not given you the correct uh, giraffes, but I've got some new stock and I'll cut you a deal. And so Proximo goes and looks over his selection of slaves to pull some new fighters for an upcoming match, including our boy Maximus. Um, he buys him thinking that he's a deserter along with um, Maximus's buddy Juba, who I don't think is really actually named in the movie, but in IMDb, they listed his character name. It, yeah, um, it, it shows it in the subtitles, um, along with yeah. Hagen, the, uh, the German guy, um, mm-hmm. but never actually addressed by name. <laughs> nope. That's unfortunate, because he's actually one of the better characters in the movie, too. He is one of the better um, characters in the movie. <laughs> Proximo takes them to his training hall, barracks, barracks is the word I'm looking for, um, and gives a speech about how he bought them for them to die. They're gladiators. It's about entertainment. And they kind of get to sparring to see what all of their abilities are. Um, Maximus does not fight back against the guy he's paired up with. He just sort of takes a series of hits, but always gets back up. And Proximo seems to see see the hint of something in him. Later, Maximus... So Maximus on his arm has this um, tattoo that is what identified him as a member of the Roman army. And so he's now kind of like carving it out. Um, pretty brutal as, scene. <laughs> pretty, pretty brutally. Yeah. Uh, as he and his new buddy Juba are talking about, and the Juba's like, isn't that like a, a sign of for your gods? Like, aren't they going to be angry about you not having that on your arm anymore? And Maximus is like, yeah, buddy, that's the whole fucking idea. Yeah. It's kind of a silly conversation because the things that are tattooed on his arm is is SPQR, uh, Sinatra's mm-hmm. Populus Que uh, Romanum, which is like the like four letters that denote Rome. You might as well just write Rome on his arm. It's kind of silly <laughs> for Juba to be like, oh, what's that? It's like those letters were plastered on every fucking inch of the empire. He would know what those letters mean. <laughs> Even if he can't love... like read the Latin language, like he would recognize the shapes. <laughs> I love the idea of Maximus essentially having gotten a tattoo when he was in a questionable relationship and now being like, I can't, like, I can't get rid of it because, like, tattoo removal is just such a hassle, but I don't know what I want to put over it. And so he's just like, he goes in and he's like, hey, I got this terrible tattoo in the early 2000s. What do you think you can do about it? And someone's like, nah, man, you're going to have to just suck it up. Um, it's like Jehovah's Deo Optimo tattooed on his ass. <laughs> Get that out of there. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the fighters are all waiting in ye old locker room before their respective matches, getting little pep talks before going out to fight to the death. Um, one man pees himself. Uh, and yeah. as the gates open, the crowd's going wild, and like an all-out brawl begins. Each man is um, chained to one other, so uh, Maximus is chained to Juba, and et cetera, et cetera. They sort of like just 
brawl. There's a lot of craziness going on. Ah, whoa. Fighting. Um, there's one of the many gladiator scenes in Gladiator, essentially. Yeah. Uh, the first big fight. First big fight. And as the, you know, they pretty handily are able to survive. And as the crowd is cheering for Maximus and crew, uh, it sort of fades out and we go to the sky and then zoom into the Colosseum in Rome where a parade is going by. Commodus, the new emperor, is getting jeered at by the crowd. Yeah. Um, and, oh man, just the wide shots of the city of Rome look so goddamn good it's amazing <laughs> how cool they make the coliseum look in this movie because obviously you know you see it today it's like you get the sense but it was a little busted up it's like no you see everything you have the awnings you have all of the statues you have all of the outer marble work is like perfect 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 rome looks maybe a little bit too nice in this movie because even the gladiator barracks are like suspiciously pristine here even in you know <laughs> far far out of the out of the way um, out in, in Mauritania, like the, you know, it's, it's a little more rough and tumble. Um, and they take mm -hmm. a few, you know, like medieval uh, Islamic, like Middle Eastern aesthetic vibes that they, that they choose to, to kind of questionably put in here. But like, yeah, you get the picture. Rome looks a little too perfect, but it looks so, so nice. I think what you could say is that Rome looks idealized, which yeah. kind of fits with the idea yeah. of everyone is trying to protect the spirit of Rome in their own way because it doesn't necessarily matter what Rome actually was like at the time. It's about how people are perceiving Rome to be. Yeah. Um, so I kind I kind of get that image, but it also is just like very pretty to look at yeah, um, from a, from a, from a cinematography perspective. It's, it's, it's a pretty image to be put in our eyes to as Commodus approaches. Some senators are chatting. They don't seem like fully composed that he's going to be a solid leader, but they don't really want to go against him either. The Senate kind of calls a meeting, and as you mentioned, uh, they start running Commodus through some matters of the state, but he almost immediately is like, Psh, this shit doesn't matter. Get, stands lame. up, gives a big speech about how everyone in this room is lame, and they don't know what the Nerds. people want. <laughs> and the people are like his children, and he's like their father, so you know he's got daddy issues. Uh, and he's like, we are going to have a game we're gonna have games for days days of games um and so we understand that the coliseum is going to be full of gladiators for quite some time Poppin'. uh his sister's <laughs> <laughs> pop absolutely just a banging festival um his sister sort of eases the tension as commodus storms off he's now beginning to toy with the idea of getting rid of the senate entirely but before he does that he's going to give the people the great vision uh so they forget the speeches of men and plans for the gladiator contests are underway. It's fight day. <laughs> and then one of my favorite pieces of production design in the entire movie pops up. It's a, it's a poster advertising the gladiator fights. And at the top it says gladiators. And at the bottom it says violenta. <laughs> and it's just like a cartoon, <laughs> right. like stick. Fig it's like a, like a little bit of like a, like, um, like a Keith Haring kind of like stick figure in the middle of a gladiator. And that's yeah. the only text on the entire poster. And I thought oh, that was just, that's just excellent. <laughs> yeah. That is really, really funny. <laughs> actually, Gladiators, violence, violence. It, it, it's, it's not terribly far off because in, in Pompeii, the excavations have shown a frankly ludicrous amount of graffiti relating to the gladiatorial games, specifically with like, women and men writing like horribly profane things about like oh this gladiator is so hot like oh this gladiator has the <laughs> biggest dong and stuff like that it's so it is like the concept of like cartoon slapstick like gladiators violence <laughs> is very on brand <laughs> 
Oh, I'm so glad. I'm that so is... glad that people have always been the same. <laughs> yeah, it, it's one of the things that I love about this movie because the parts that are ridiculous are the parts that are most true to the spirit of Rome. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, so senators have th that had the poster in hand are kind of concerned about the 150 days of games being successful at distracting people and bolstering Commodus's popularity. Um, but we don't have too long to dwell on that because Actually, Maximus... <laughs> we especially don't yeah. because there's a deleted scene that was cut uh, from later in the film where um, Lucilla explains that the rate at which they are putting on games and for this long will basically leave Rome broke and entirely out of food within like oh. a year so and it, it's like it, it's pretty extraneous to the point of the movie but the the underplot is basically that by holding these games not only is is commodus really like sticking the the finger to his dad who really didn't care for the games and was much more of like a, a substance over style kind of person even though he's a dumbass um but <laughs> by putting so much effort into these extremely lavish games where they clear out all of the prisoners uh for gladiators and they have to go like carting people in from all of the provinces that commodus will bankrupt and destroy the empire and force everybody into starvation just for his fun spectacles so it's not really touched on in the movie itself but it's it's a deleted scene and that, that shows up in the director's cut that's like oh wow yeah no this is this is really bad <laughs> and he's just doing it so that they will love him for putting on a show even if in the long run it destroys everybody sorry continue yeah no i think that's Personally, I kind of wish that scene was included, because as much as there's a lot of things that are happening that we had to slog through in this movie, I feel like a lot of Commodus' stuff is, other than his poor relationship with his father, uh, we kind of just see his actions rather than what's causing them. Uh, we're not seeing a lot of the effect to inform why his actions are so problematic. Like, we kind of get a hint of it in the Senate in that first scene where he... he pretty much brushes off a guy who's like, hey, there's a plague going on that we should probably do something about. And Commodus is like, forget the plague. I want to talk about the gladiatorial games that we're reinstating. And having a little bit of an exploration of how he doesn't really care about the people of Rome. He just sort of cares about the feelings that they might um, have towards him. Yeah. Would have, I think, been a little bit... It, it would have been um, a nice to have it more explicitly laid out in the movie. Because yeah, at times I think clearly. it gets overshadowed get, get... by... Overshadowed by farms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, if we get ten scenes of, of Maximus wanting to go back, we can get one scene of Commodus stating his motivation. Uh, God, and there actually is one Maximus really cool family so much. scene where Commodus takes uh, a blade to a statue uh, of Marcus Aurelius in the royal palace uh, until the sword breaks. Uh, yikes. Oof. <laughs> And that is another cool-ass scene that should have been in there, but this movie's already long enough, so, like, I get it. Yeah, I, I appreciate um, editing because so many movies these days uh, could benefit from maybe a harsher editing pass, but at the same yeah. time, I think there maybe might have been a scene in there they could have probably left yeah. in and it would have benefited. Um, so Maximus is a... Yeah, yeah, we don't need, like, the sixth or seventh person to find out that Maximus... <laughs> <laughs> a wife and a son that he'd like to go back to. Um, Maximus, meanwhile, is enjoying some popularity uh, from local crowds as they cheer for the Spaniard, as he comes to be known. Yep. He's sort of gotten to the swing of fights. He's beheading a dude and doing all sorts of nonsense. Uh, and we get, of course, the famous, are you not entertained? Shout. He yells to yep. a crowd who's kind of like cheering and jeering at him. 
Later that night, Proximo meets with him about their act returning to the Colosseum as opposed to, like, the province that they're out in now. And we learn that Proximo, who owns Maximus and his gang, uh, was once a gladiator who actually won his freedom as well. From He, he stood in front of the emperor and was given, given his freedom. Uh, and Maximus declares that he too wants to stand in front of the emperor. And Proximo gives him the advice of if you want to, you know, gain your freedom you have to win over the crowd and gives him some very fancy armor that we'll see him wearing throughout the movie you know, a lot and of actually every fights. fight his armor gets a little more fancy which is a cool detail it, he gets more details on the on the armor piece every time <laughs> he's moving up in the world every single yeah. fight yep uh and we once as soon as he has this conversation maximus goes to his buddy juba and they have another conversation about his family and they talk about how Max's wife and son are waiting for him in the afterlife, but he can't die yet. They're going to have to keep waiting. Maximus um, has a pin that says, ask me about my family and farm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a bumper sticker, but he sticks on like the side of a horse. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The fighters all make for Rome. They arrive in these crowded streets. Uh, entering. <laughs> I don't, I assume, like it makes sense that entrances to places are labeled all throughout history but i don't know what it was about this archway that had gladiators written on top of it that made me kind of like spiral for a minute but i thought that was so funny that they were going in the gladiator entrance (laughs) yeah um yeah that was i i don't know how like how accurate that is but it is funny (laughs) yeah it's the same as the poster where i'm like this almost veers into being a little bit campy but the i'm willing to take it even though it doesn't really tonally match the rest of the movie because it is very funny to me. The gladiators sort of marvel at the majesty of this Colosseum. It's this massive, gorgeous structure, and Proximo reminds them that they have to win over the crowd. Which becomes uh, the goal of, of both participants. Uh, as the, the senators are talking, they explain that, like, ah, yes, Commodus will try to win over the crowd, and then they'll love him, which is the one thing that he wants, because apparently his dad didn't. Uh, let's, we don't have time to unpack all of that. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it is interesting that now that they are both in Rome, the stated goal of each major force, Commodus and Maximus, is win the crowd. Uh, mm-hmm. And what they want is locked behind that uh, that objective. So it, it's yes. neat that, that the motivations are, are tied together, despite their, their difference in like what they really, really, really want. What they mm-hmm. need to get that is win the crowd, which is cool. Yeah, the crowd also functions as a stand-in for Rome proper. Uh, yeah. Sometimes they're referred to as the mob, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and pretty much every senator in the movie acknowledges at some point in some line that Rome is what's in the Colosseum. You know, Rome is this this crowd that they're winning over. So it, it also works on sort of the, the metaphorical level that, like, the real power struggle between Maximus and Commodus is who can win over, whose who's vision of Rome will prevail. Um, yeah. And their vision of Rome is going to be whichever one that the, the crowd will cheer for more. Um, and that's not strictly, you know, true to what would have been happening. As sentences all have said 500 times by the end of this, uh, <laughs> this uh, recording, which I already see. We're going to be in here for a while. Um, but it's not the kind of thing that an emperor really would have had to worry about at that point. But... They are actually looking ahead in the history to the Byzantine period, where not to not to open up a whole thing, but there is a famous uh, episode uh, during the history of the Emperor Justinian, like the famous Byzantine emperor who built Hagia mm-hmm. Sophia, where oh. uh, his political fortunes were dependent on the crowd at the chariot stadium uh, not wanting to throw a riot and kill him. 
they tried, but he <laughs> killed them. So the idea of oh, like no. the the beating heart of the the sports arena um, is what determines the political fortunes of the empire is not accurate to Rome in 180, but it is a political reality of the Byzantine period. So that is mm -hmm. maybe not actually intentional, um, but it is cool that they are bringing that part of the history into this moment that they're that they're showing right now. So even if it's not like true to the Commodus storyline, it is again like a part of Rome just from from a little bit of a different time. So it's it's neat that they that they bring this into a, a whole like pastiche of all this different Roman stuff where they're they're looking back to like Caesar era questions about, you know, Republic Empire and, you know, one man in charge of all of Rome. And they're also looking forward to Byzantine era history where it's like oh, what happens in the city determines what happens over the entire empire. And the one place where the citizens collectively can voice what they are feeling is the arena, because it is the only time in which the emperor and 50,000 angry Romans are in the same spot, and one can make their <laughs> feelings known to the other. So that's really cool. Even if it's not from here, it is, it is Roman. It is very Roman. <laughs> So Commodus and his sister have a little scene where Commodus is sort of like hitting on his sister and it's real creepy. Uh, and then we go to young Lucius, the um, sister's son, surveying the fighters for their matches. He, he takes a moment of interest in Maximus and the two sort of bond a little bit before Maximus learns that the boy is Lucius, nephew of the emperor. And he sort of like has to take stock of how he feels about <laughs> the son of my enemy. Um Shit, 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 shit. <laughs> yeah, his face really like goes through the, the several stages of confusion, anger, confusion again. Like, oh no! Um, yeah, the fighters all panic. pick helmets, <laughs> which will conveniently obscure their faces in this fight. And, and actually, the Coliseum. one detail in that scene is that of the the lineup of helmets, there are a lot of helmets that are from like centuries and centuries later. But one of them, I think, right next to the one that Maximus picks up, is the famous Sutton Who helmet from England from oh. way later it's like like a little bit like you know pre-viking period that like the famous you everyone knows what this helmet looks like you just don't know the name of it um it's like <laughs> the old like vikingy helmet in the british museum um and it's cool that it shows up here one of the set designers is like i'm gonna i'm gonna have a little a little easter egg for for some of them history fans to, to pick up it's on sort of and i did and it was cool as fuck <laughs> <laughs> it sort of feels like one of those things is kind of pull back the curtain like if you do a little production design a lot of times you pull from prop houses that mm -hmm. uh, just have a stock of certain things and it sort yeah. of felt like for these helmets they were like well what helmets do we already have Let's just, no one's going to notice if we just put any random helmet in this pile. It's it's fine. As long as the main guy is wearing the cool helmet we want him to wear, everyone yeah, exactly. else can just pick up it's, the other prop. It's either something no one will notice, or it's a cool Easter egg for people who do. So it's like best of both mm -hmm. worlds. And there's a lot of things in this movie like that, which which I like. Even when it's wrong, it's, it's wrong in a way that is interesting <laughs> for conversation, as the hmm. runtime of this podcast attests. <laughs> <laughs> That's just every episode of this podcast at this point. Woo. Um <laughs> Maximus and his boys take to the field, and they all approach the Emperor, except for Maximus. And in the battle, they'll be re recreating the fall of Carthage. Uh, Max and his boys are playing the barbarians who are supposed yeah. to be defeated. But Max manages to use his old... I call him Max. Maximus. We're going to call him Max Maxi for short. Boy. Max manages... <laughs> my boy Max uh, <laughs> rallies the other fighters to stick with him and follow his orders, uh, pulling on 
his history as a general so that they might survive the onslaught by working together because once again the power of friendship will save the day as they sort of form up these chariots emerge uh, and they begin to pick off the loners but maximus is able to give commands to the rest and they're able to stay in formation to withstand the onslaught of the chariots such a cool scene it's it's probably one of my favorite so cool. i mean there are a lot of my favorite fights the the, the germania fight but but this one is really cool um uh, because it was a prominent thing in gladiatorial contests and even in chariot races where the event would be a little mini history lesson where they would be recreating some scene from mythology or battle from roman history so the Romans just casually in the process of going to watch, you know, uh, an old an old sports game would learn about their society and their history. And, you know, the fall of Carthage would be something that everybody knows about a little bit, you know, casually. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like it's like going to watch a hockey game, except instead of like, you know, two random teams from two cities, it's like, yes, this hockey team on this side is George Washington and the American Patriots, and this other hockey team is the Redcoats. And by like the Washington's hockey team winning, it's like there you go. That's how the history happened. And obviously, that's not a one-to-one metaphor, but like it's mm-hmm. it's uncomfortably close. It works a little too well. <laughs> <laughs> so the fight continues. The big guy takes a spear to the leg, but Max manages to save him. And in the process, they take out a few more of the chariots. Uh, the <laughs> There's a great shot in the middle of this battle where Commodus kind of like makes a like ooh face and like looks away while he's watching. He's entertained in a very childlike manner. Um, yes. uh, the gladiators, though, they're able to they're smoking their opponents, and despite being the underdogs and also the people who are supposed to lose because they're <laughs> not supposed to win the fall of Carthage. Um, yeah, it, it is really cool that this they is the emerge only, victorious. Like these scenes are the only scenes in which Commodus is like unambiguously having a blast. He is yeah. so enjoying himself when he's watching the games. And it is really cool to see, like, this is what, like, flips the switch and makes him just light up. Mm-hmm. Uh, after the match, Commodus decides that he's going to meet the Spaniard. Uh-oh. And uh, as he approaches, Max pull- kind of hides a little spear in his hand, prepared to kill his his mortal enemy. Uh, but he's stopped at the last second because the young boy, Lucius, also approaches and is... His uh, uncle holds him in front of him as he's talking to the gladiators. Um, when the emperor asks for his name, Max Maximus says that my name is Gladiator, and he goes to walk away, but as he turns his back, he uh, is surrounded by legionnaires, and they're like, no, 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 you can't disrespect the emperor like that. So Maximus takes off his helmet and reveals that he's actually the general who's been alive this whole time and gives a very dramatic speech about vengeance, which he wants to get for his wife and son, who he wanted to go home to on their farm without the crops. Which nobody (laughs) in the arena can hear. (laughs) (laughs) Not one! Um, It's up to the... the, It's up to Commodus if Max is going to live or die, but the crowd are chanting, live, 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 and he is allowed to live another day showing that he has the he's the people's champion if this was if this was rocky you know he he may have lost the battle but he's he's won the hearts of the people and the triumphant gladiators exit the field where the fighters are all sort of like rallying around maximus in the barracks here uh back at the palace commodus asks his sister why maximus is still alive and you know if no one in the legion would tell him that they they hadn't actually killed their old uh commander then you know 
surely they don't actually love him, so he, he won't let this treachery go unpunished. Is this the scene where he says, it vexes me, I'm terribly vexed? That's my favorite line in yes. film. <laughs> <laughs> he uses the word vexed so much in this scene. He, like every other sentence. <laughs> God, I, I love, me. I wish that was a gift that I could just use all the time. <laughs> oh, say no more. I recently learned how to make gifts. Um, I made some for the, the 2008 Speed Racer movie. Uh, so say no more. <laughs> Oh, I'll, I'll get off my track. <laughs> get get that weak shit off my track, and also the scene where Racer X punches a man while driving. But that is another movie episode, movie shock episode entirely. Uh, <laughs> Max is led out of his cell to meet with the sister uh, Lucilla, uh, who says that she is afraid for her son, and that's kind of afraid of her brother for her son, and that's sort of why she doesn't do anything about him being completely corrupt at this point. Uh, and she wants Maximus to meet with a politician who also wants what he wants um, to return the spirit of Rome or whatever, but he turns her down, saying that the old Maximus is dead. He died along with his wife and son on the farm that he wanted to go on home to. So <laughs> <laughs> I, it is actually um, interesting, though, the idea that, like, that Lucius being named as heir is dangerous for him as well as for Commodus because, mm-hmm. you know you see dictators never make a line of succession because if there's a line of succession, that makes them expendable. Um, right. But then as soon as they die, the whole thing goes to shit. Uh, stay tuned for, for, for all of world history in about 20 to 30 years. Um, you heard it here first. I mean, <laughs> you've heard it everywhere else first too. But um, it, it's interesting that because Lucius is designated as heir, he is fundamentally uh, in danger um, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, what was, uh, what was, uh, old boy, old boy Marcus Aurelius doing not designating an heir? Hmm. Uh, so, uh, you see the problems yeah. that happen when you don't designate an heir and you see the promise that happen where the problems that happen when you do designate an heir. So, yeah. And there's also the line where, movie... where Lucilla says that, uh, rich matrons would pay lots of money to be pleasured by uh, the gladiators of Rome. She is not lying. <laughs> <laughs> The graffiti Mm. attests to it. (laughs) The graffiti doesn't lie. I do appreciate that this movie um, kind of anticipates, I think, a lot of the questions that your typical plot hole seekers will be asking. Because the very, it's kind of like you mentioned with the um, line of succession problem. You know, it's good that they're bringing it up here because it kind of establishes um, why certain characters are are not acting as actively as they could be. Uh, and in the next scene, we see a similar thing established when uh, Maximus and his boys are sitting around eating, and as Maximus gets his bowl of gruel, the big guy kind of, like, taste tests it for Hagen, him to see if it's yeah. poisoned. Hagen, and he, like, fakes being poisoned, and he laughs about it, uh, and the two guys are like, you know, they're, they're you're, you're too much of a symbol, they're not gonna just kill you off in your sleep. So he sort of blocked out the plot point of why Commodus just doesn't have Maximus killed outside of the arena in one kind of like quick little scene. It's also very fun because Hagen is uh, maybe my favorite character in the movie. He's such a good character. The other thing is that while that plot hole is closed, the other plot hole is Commodus can solve his Maximus problem by just not giving him fights. Yeah. <laughs> just book yeah. someone else for a few weeks. <laughs> To stop giving him fights. Proximo is just a really good PR agent, and he's yeah. like, you and know, like, they you know, kind of I explain you that can't... like they're, they're kind of out of other gladiators, so like mm-hmm. I, I do get it. Like they have to bring this other guy out of retirement because they're so low on gladiators. But yeah. like, oh my god, stop giving him fights. <laughs> um, so that, that's kind of funny. But the one thing that I really like about that scene with Hagen in particular is he was like, so you were, um, you were a general. You you had a lot of victories. 
any of them in Germania. Um, and that's just a little <laughs> bit of, a, of a, a little, like, you know, even though, like, you've probably killed most of my people, you might be the reason I'm stuck here. Um, Hagen still, you know, like, respects Maximus um, man-to-man uh, in a way that, that is really cool, because, like, you know, Juba has mm-hmm. no reason to have any beef with Maximus whatsoever. Hagen super does, but respects him anyways, because he, he you know, he's like, yeah, like, you know, that's that's war. It's not personal. Yeah. I get it. So that, that's just a cool Hagen, character. Uh... Not only is he the big guy who's funny, but he also, like, his his relationship with Maximus is is really cool, despite the the mm-hmm. baggage. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of almost set up. Um, at, at when he first appeared on screen, I was like, "Oh no, this is gonna be his, like first bad guy that he has to take down in the arena." But then they actually ended up teaming up, which I really appreciated because it's sort of like every like season two anime antagonist, where they're like, "Actually, now we're bros." <laughs> yeah, it had big uh, big Vegeta energy coming off of him. <laughs> So it's time for another day at the games. We push in on the crowd. Um, there's a familiar face watching in the stands this time. If savvy viewers will remember this man with scars on his face is Cicero from the Cicero. beginning of the film. Um, today, Tigris of Gaul is entering the stadium, the only undefeated champion they've ever had to fight Maximus. Um, and Commodus sort of like hints at his sister that this fight, Max's death, has been arranged. Uh, Max and Tigris begin to fight, and as they sort of, like, rumble around the arena, various traps are triggered, and various tigers are released from pits in the ground, so they have different tiger zones they have to kind of dodge. Which is a thing that happened uh, (laughs) in the arena. There were, like, there's a whole underground system that, like, you see in earlier scenes, there's this whole, like, underground thing. Um, which actually Rome just like last week opened up the hypogeum to the public. So if you're in, if you have any excuse to be in Rome, go check out the underneath of the Colosseum. Um, <laughs> but it, they they did have the ability to just open up trap doors and have animals pop out. So that is super accurate and cool as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did like the tiger set piece that they featured in here. It's like yeah. this makes this fight more interesting. Um, yeah. It's also it's Max cool because, manages like, to... it was basically like the zoo for the Roman Empire, where it's like people travel, sure, but not that far. So all wild animals from every reach of the empire would have been brought to Rome for people to see. So the gladiator was uh, uh, a, a zoo uh, voluntarily for the spectators, involuntarily for the performers. <laughs> uh, so that's cool. It's like, yeah, no, they, they brought all kinds yep. of crazy animals in there. Yeah. Uh, Maximus, despite getting several tiger bites, does manage to take Tigris down. He has him on the rope, uh, and the crowd is chanting for the champion's death, but instead of killing his opponent, Maximus kind of throws his axe to the side and starts walking off, even though Commodus has said to kill this man. He gave him the thumbs down, the ominous uh, Colosseum thumbs down of doom. The crowd begins to cheer for Maximus the Merciful. And as he exits the stadium, he's sort of surrounded by guards with Commodus once again going out to meet him. Uh, Commodus does, like, almost a little are we so different, you and I, speech. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And then challenges Max to strike him down right then and there. And as Max is kind of walking away, Commodus takes the opportunity to mock his dead wife and son that he wanted to go home on his farm to (laughs) so badly. Um, And although clearly it hurts, uh, Maximus does not respond to the jibes coming from Commodus. I murdered your sold your crops for below market price. (laughs) (laughs) What are you going to do now, fucko? (laughs) Yep. Um, As Maximus is leaving the stadium that day, Cicero kind of yells from the crowd for him and tells him that they have troops camped outside the city and that he should come and find them. And he gives him these little statues of his wife and son that he wanted to return to on their farm so badly uh, that he was praying to at the beginning of the movie. 
Meanwhile, Commodus is kind of struggling with a real PR crisis as he and some of the senators discuss what to do about Maximus, and they kind of just land on doing nothing. So they should really (laughs) consider hiring a PR manager or something in Rome. Cicero and Maximus meet at the gladiator training ground, and Maximus asks Cicero to do him a favor, um, and Cicero manages to kind of get Lucilla up to date on Maximus being more willing to meet with the senator who is very idealistic now, and so... Maximus and the sister are able to meet with uh, Gracchus, I believe. Gracchus. Yeah, yeah, Gracchus. I don't know if it's intentional, but the Gracchi brothers uh, were a famous um, pair of, uh, of senators or tribunes um, who were famously brutally murdered uh, in 133 BC, which kind of marked the beginning of the end of the Roman Republic. So hmm. having a character who is a staunch Republic lover uh, named Gracchus is, it's like, there are like five Roman names uh, and three of them are Gaius, <laughs> but like, it was probably intentional, which is just a little cool detail. Yeah. Maximus asks Gracchus to smuggle him out of Rome so that he can lead his men back to retake the city and lead a coup and give Rome back to the Senate. Uh, yep. Gracchus seems a little doubtful that like this whole coup thing is going to really go as nobly as it's said, but he agrees and he says that in two days he can buy his freedom provided that Maximus stays alive. Uh, Maximus cool, kind of talks. Like, these yeah. kinds of like anti, you know, imperial coups are are a thing that happened with surprising frequency. A lot of people marched armies on Rome in their days, um, and it's <laughs> uh, it's it's neat that they they have a reason to to include that plot point here. Uh, also, that they're they're camped out in Ostia specifically, which is a a little uh, a little harbor town near where the modern uh, uh, Rome Fiumicino uh, uh, Leonardo da Vinci airport is, or no, da Vinci's a fan. Well, anyway, <laughs> uh, the, the Fiumicino airport, um, where if you go to Ostia today, it's basically like Pompeii, but nobody mm. knows it's there. Uh, it's an entire town full of like mostly intact ruins, like, you know, intact Ooh. ruins, but like, if you're in Rome, <laughs> go check it out because it's cool as hell. Uh, and the, this most recent time I watched it, I'm like, oh shit, yeah, no, Ostia rules. It's super cool there. So there's just a fun little, fun little, little detail. Second travel tip of the episode. <laughs> Gotta love them. So Maximus kind of like talks about Proximo about his plan, and Proximo seems like kind of meh about it. But Maximus is like, do do it for the honor, or for the, you know, the emperor killed the man who set you free, like. Gladiator's arm. Uh, I lost the ability to speak there for a second. Uh, <laughs> Gladiator's honor, man. And then um, he goes back to his cell to be like, "Fakere pedwinum, do it for the vine." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, unfortunately, though, some centurions come and grab uh, Gracchus at his estate. Um, the sister is going and talking with her brother about his troubles, and he reveals that. Um, he's going to bleed the Senate, which I guess means killing Gracchus or disposing him somewhere. The fate of Gracchus was constantly in question for the latter half of this movie. I was never quite sure whether he was alive or dead or what. He's sort of just like, yeah, he's sort of just like out of the way. Yeah. Um, Commodus once again gets really weirdly handsy with his sister, which is, I cannot stress enough, is super weird. And, uh... It, It is actually a really, like... It's obviously a very weird and creepy scene, but when he's like, you know, he like he pushes his sister down onto the bed and then like puts his head on her chest and then is basically like out cold asleep two seconds later. <laughs> I don't entirely know what's up with that, but it's a really good character moment because <laughs> like you can see is how it? how well, no, because in terms of like how wildly unhinged he is that he can be like so manic one moment and then just flip a switch and be out the next. It was really effectively unsettling. 
Fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. So Proximo decides that he's going to help uh, Maximus escape, and he sends guards out of the barracks as Lucilla sort of brings him up to speed with, like, what's going on. Uh, and she she gets her moment when the guards are away to talk to Maximus before he leaves. She's like, here's the plan. Uh, also, you know that we was, like, old loves, and so we're going to make out a little before you go on your grand adventure. Um, I try not to think about your wife, who you loved so much and wanted to get home to on your farm with your son and all your crops. Yeah, that, uh, <laughs> that kiss is really incongruous with Maximus's character. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They just needed someone to kiss in this movie, and all the other options yeah. were bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, so while that's happening, Commodus sees uh, his nephew Lucius sparring in the halls and asks if he's playing Legionnaire, but it's, the kid's like, no, I'm playing Gladiator, and specifically oh, I'm playing yeah. I'm playing the, the Spaniard, and Commodus is like, I don't care for that shit one bit. Yeah, um, Maximus, the savior of Rome, which, like, no one would have been calling him the savior because no one would have thought that he needed saving. Like, in, in terms yeah. of, like, the conversations people would have out on the street doesn't make sense, but, like... Words that you could say to make your uncle go into a tailspin, those are definitely it. <laughs> and this sort of clues Commodus in. He's like, who told you that? And the kid sort of whispers in his ear. Uh, and then when the sister comes looking for her son, she finds Commodus and Lucius talking about Mark Antony and Cleopatra and later about Claudius, who was betrayed by his own uh, his own close blood of some kind um and commodus is sort of i don't really know the story that well <laughs> yeah it he he's talking in metaphor here because the whole time he's telling this story he's very menacingly looking over at his sister and being like this is such oh, a I good would... scene i i love this scene so much yeah. because it's it is absolutely commodus at his most menacing and most composed weirdly uh and mm -hmm. in total control of the situation because he knows exactly what levers he needs to pull on where for the rest of the movie he's obviously very powerful but kind of flailing this is the one scene where he is like pinpoint terrifying and it's so good mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah it's it's scary he's he's threatening his sister kind of metaphorically with her, her son on his lap because uh, she he reveals like I know you've been conspiring against me and if you do anything else you're gonna you're gonna tell me everything you know uh, and I'm gonna ruin your plans because if you hurt me I'll hurt your son and it's it's genuinely scary um, and that night uh, after the plan kind of falls apart soldiers arrive at Proximo's and he doesn't give open the gate giving Maximus and his pals time to escape uh, Max calls upon his gladiator buddies to make a distraction so that he can make his uh, escape towards where Cicero is waiting for him uh, as Max Maximus heads underground and grabs his arm and sword the gladiators kind of like charge the soldiers who break through the gate um what, proximo uh, gets Max stabbed is really the the last stand uh, of the dothraki yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> god yeah you're Sorry. right i was watching the daniel green video about the the season eight like writer's room uh meme skit so it was on my mind but yeah, yeah no yeah. It's, it's it's cool. accurate it's, it's very very accurate bite it but they're like yeah, Maximus, fuck everybody else. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, they know they're going to die. They, As far as they're concerned, they got way more mileage out of this than they thought they would. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's yeah, they all, they all die for, uh, yeah. for Maximus. Hagen gets that. got, but um, yeah. oh my God. Uh, Juba oh. manages to survive. So yeah, somehow. tight buddies. Uh, also, Proximo gets killed by, like, four guys stabbing him at once, which felt like over... It was so dramatic. <laughs> it was so dramatic. 
like he's clutching the sword that Marcus Aurelius gave him. Like, oh man, mm-hmm. it's. I didn't feel a lot of pathos, but it was very dramatic. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you've kind of just been a little bit of an asshole this whole time, but you seem like you have like uh, you had a rough life and you had a little bit of a heart of gold under it all. So I'm a little. I'm sad to see you stabbed simultaneously by four people. That's disappointing. Max man- Maximus manages to find Cicero, but it's a trap. Uh, Cicero has already been captured, uh, and he's hung and then shot a bunch with arrows as Maximus is surrounded in the square by a bunch of soldiers. So that's rip oh, everyone who was involved with, with the plan. Way, way back um, in the Rome sequence when they do the turtle, for- or in-, in the Germania sequence when they do the turtle formation, there's this one shot of all of the arrows going into the shields like like a side-on shot and then when they're in the carthage fight there's the same shot of the arrows going into the shields of the gladiators and it was a really cool parallel that i noticed that i forgot about earlier but just now remembered that you mentioned (laughs) uh uh cicero getting uh fucking pin cushioned uh while already (laughs) in the process of being hanged (laughs) yeah he had a really unfortunate everyone had very painful deaths (laughs) At, yeah. the, at the hands of Commodus's revenge. Um, the next day, Commodus is watching the sunrise, and he's told that everything has been done after he asks after his sister and nephew. Um, he decides he's going to keep Lucius with him, and that if his sister ever steps out of line again, her kid will die. Commodus is fully lost at this point. We're in real darkest hour territory here with only yeah. 20 minutes left in the movie. Back at the stadium, the crowds are cheering for Maximus, who's all chained up in, like, solitary sort of... Um, He's in one of the the little catacombs in in the hypogeum underneath the the Colosseum. Yeah. It's it's, it's where they kept the tigers. Yeah, exactly. He's in tiger jail. Um, Commodus goes to see Maximus in front of all of his surviving gladiator buddies and challenges Maximus to a fight in the arena, 1v1 fight me bro, which feels like a risky move because we understand that Commodus is basically completely unhinged at this point. I guess we're going to write it off as just like... I guess this is what the madman would do next. Yeah. Um, and, and Commodus did fight in the game, so this is like the one scene where we actually get to have him in there. And usually what would happen was the people he was fighting were like crippled and drunk and didn't have like weapons that were actually sharp. <laughs> um, so the 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 play of Commodus cheating wildly in his own fights is very true to life. <laughs> <laughs> yep, uh, Maximus and Commodus kind of rise into the arena facing off to do combat one last time. As After a real Lucius... cool conversation uh, where, where Maximus is like, ooh, here's some life advice for your uh, from your dad who doesn't love you. <laughs> <laughs> Heard you had daddy issues. Hope those rumors aren't true for your All sake, buddy. Smile back. Oh man, this is a good uh, Maximus really knows how to, how to lay on the uh, lay on the old uh, eloquence when he needs to. Oh yes, everyone is kind of got all the senators, Lucius and the sister are all kind of gathered in the stands. Everyone's taken their place to watch the fight. Maximus once again picks up a handful of dirt and like runs it through his hand as he does before every single combat sequence. The crowd goes silent. With the first clash of the blade, they're off. Uh, Maximus seems to take the upper hand at first, but the emperor manages to kind of push back, preying on Maximus's weakened state. Yeah, Maximus does, <laughs> having having been stabbed. Uh, Maximus disarms him. Commodus kind of calls for a sword, but uh, Quintus stops any of the guards from giving him their blade, uh, showing that the tide of public opinion may be turning against the man who is fighting everyone's favorite gladiator in the middle of the arena. Maximus begins his. <laughs> last hallucinatory uh, sequence where he's sort of like (laughs) another one of Maximus's favorite sequences where he's sort of seeing things that aren't quite there like 
cross-cutting between the fight and visions of the front door of his farm that he so desperately wanted to go back to where his wife and son lived. Comatus manages to pull a dagger out of his sleeve that he had hidden in there, and the two go uh, back into fisticuffs for a while, but Maximus comes back with a vengeance, this time using the Emperor's own dagger against him and killing Commodus uh, slowly and painfully in the center of the stadium. The soundtrack goes silent. This is not like a swelling, dramatic victory. This is a, a solemn moment. Uh, yeah. Maximus stands in the ring in front of silent crowns, crowds, stumbling towards the gates that he is hallucinating of his home. Quintus calls to him, and Maximus stays lucid just long enough to tell him to free his men, reinstate Gracchus, and try and realize the vision of Rome before uh, collapsing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he really, he really held out just long. After that, just long enough to, <laughs> to keep hit those. some uh, final requests. He didn't requests. have a chance to explain the details of the plan. Uh, <laughs> nope. Um, but uh, this this scene is great because it is a lot better than the actual history. Um, specifically, Commodus IRL was strangled to death by one of his wrestling buddies in a bathhouse, oh, no. which is a lot oh. less dignified than dying in the arena. Yeah. So this is one of the moments where it's like it is changed for dramatic effect but is unambiguously better <laughs> because the cut of Gladiator mm-hmm. where Commodus is killed by somebody else <laughs> in a bath <laughs> is so much more embarrassing for Commodus. <laughs> yeah. So Maximus, having run out the movie's runtime, finally gets to go home to his wife and son on their yeah. farm with all their crops that he's been talking about since thinking of the movie. He passes away. Uh, as he dies, Lucilla stands before the masses and gives a speech about the worth of Rome to Gracchus, and Gracchus and the gladiators carry Maximus's body out of the stadium. And the final shot's really His pretty. The one thing that pisses me off buddy. about Lucilla's speech is the question, is Rome worth one good man's life? And anybody who knows anything about Rome knows that that question is moot, because a lot of people got trampled uh, <laughs> underneath Rome. So it's like, is Rome worth one good man's life? Was was already a forfeit question about 700 years ago. <laughs> because a lot also, of better people Also, he's been participating in um, gladiator fights to the death for the entire movie in Rome. So it sort of feels like a moot point just in Maximus's life in general. Like, yeah, like even the dude the could have died like, in any of these fights. Of, of movie time. It, yeah, so it's like, I... I get the sentiment, but like, oh man, uh, it, was a, it was a poor word choice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot better Juba people ha- uh, have died uh, in the course of Roman history. <laughs> uh, Juba, somehow having survived the movie, does bury the figurines of the wife and child and heads for his own home. And the Colosseum now sits empty as the sun rises over a new Rome, a new dramatic vision of Rome, and we roll credits. Juba, bury I'm... my Funko Pops. <laughs> Oh no, that's exactly what they are. <laughs> Specifically, they're, um, they're what's oh. called the lares, which were uh, which were household gods um, that existed in a little like little mini like bookshelf cabinet in the corner of the main atrium uh, of, of a Roman manor. Um, and specifically, there were these little figurines of all these different, like, minor gods. It was specifically a Roman thing. The Greeks don't have any comparable thing. But, um, they're, you know, the, the concept of little figurines for uh, for the kiddos uh, totally makes sense. I'm surprised that he didn't have any figurines for his crops. Um, but, yeah, uh, <laughs> them's his, uh, his, uh, his Funko Pops. <laughs> when I die, 
Blue, will you will you bury my David Hasselhoff Funko Pop for me? <laughs> I will bury your Funko Pops for you. Thank you. Thank oh, you. God. Uh, yeah, so that's that's Gladiator. Um, I think, you know, it's it's definitely uh, an extremely well-made movie. It won Best Picture for a reason. I feel a little bit confused as to what the final theme of the movie is. I... I I think vaguely I understand what it was trying to say, but I feel like there was so much happening that between the um, action set pieces being very cool and then everyone waxing poetic about what they thought Rome was, by the end of the movie, I wasn't 100% sure what I was supposed to think Rome was going to become. It gets Uh, a little muddied at the end, to say the least. So essentially what they imply is that Rome becomes a republic again, which mm -hmm. is absolutely wild uh, and never would have happened. (laughs) Um, But I... I was thinking about that and I was like, I don't, I don't know if I really have an answer because like the whole point is that Rome tramples on a lot of people uh, in the name of its own greatness. And, and even at one point you hear, you know, Marcus Aurelius say eh, so much for the glory of Rome uh, that it's like, it's all this effort and for what? And I think the, the clearest uh, theme that the, the movie presents is, is what is worth the, the glory of this abstract concept? What are we all collectively mm-hmm. willing to sacrifice of ourselves and of each other. Uh, and, and Maximus only cares about Rome so much. He only cares about the Republic as Marcus Aurelius did. He, he just wanted his goddamn crops. <laughs> yeah, um, he just wanted I, to go home that, to his family, yeah, <laughs> his wife the, and child <laughs> the, with their the crops. The meaning at the end is is pretty fuzzy for sure. Mm-hmm. And, and I even searching now, um, I can't really find a good definitive answer uh, and I guess that is kind of part of the problem. Um, but I, I think what I like about the way this movie works so much is that they show you basically all of Roman history at a glance. They show you the military campaigns. They show you the political infighting and the intrigue and the corruption uh, and the madness of the emperors and the 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 weird like bureaucratic plotting uh, of the Senate and the way in which... The, the provinces are, you know, pressed upon for what Rome needs and all of these other things kind of coming together in this, this, this unified, like, narrative of, oh, here's, here's Rome. Uh, and it, it works. <laughs> it, it weirdly does work. But trying to wrench a th- one message out of all of that is exceptionally hard. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. it says more about the brutality of Rome than the glory of it. Uh, yeah. That everyone yeah, is sure. like, oh, this is so important. Uh, but all it seems to do is trample on people. It tramples on the Germans. <laughs> it tramples on the slaves. It tramples on its own generals. It tramples on the people. <laughs> yep. Rome is harsh. Scenery <laughs> of Rome never stops. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you you picked this movie, and uh, we've kind of touched on it already. But do you have any sort of closing thoughts here for the episode? Any uh, would you recommend this movie to other people to watch it? Maybe, like, what scenarios would you watch this movie again in? How, how are you feeling after having watched Gladiator? Yeah, I I love this movie so much. And even when I point out the things that are objectively bullshit, they are bullshit in a way that is so good for discussion, as this podcast, uh, <laughs> I, I hope, has shown. <laughs> and that you can learn so much about this society 
from just the simple act of watching this movie, where even if you won't have a, a textbook understanding of like the 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 beat by beat, you know, plot points of of the reign of Emperor Commodus, which in this movie is implied to be about four weeks, when in real life it was like twenty years, um, <laughs> you will understand so much about what Rome was like and how Rome worked and what it did by seeing all these different angles of it, even if you don't actually get the the, the view of the everyday people, go watch a funny thing happen on the way to the forum for that. And maybe that's a future movie struck <laughs> episode for us. Um, that's Ooh. much more the domestic scene. But if you want to understand the character of Rome, this is the movie for you because not only is it entertaining, not only is it cool as hell, but historically it is so useful and it is the rare piece of media that uses the, the strength of its own medium to educate in a historical way that even though it's not accurate to the the plot points it is such a clear vision of roman culture in the history mm -hmm. of the empire that draws on like stuff from the caesar era it draws on stuff from the byzantine era it draws on stuff from the marcus aurelius and Commodus era it is such a rarely complete picture of this society in one two and a half hour runtime that I am astounded it exists as good as it does. And and that's just my whole thing with this, is that it is fun, but you really actually can learn about it. And when you dig into it, and when you find out what things they're making up, what things they're changing, it will only deepen your understanding of what this culture was like. Because Rome is a long thing. It's, it's thousands of years. So, you know, any one mm -hmm. piece of media won't give you the whole picture, but this movie really does a good job of giving you a full picture of the society. And that's, now I'm just repeating myself. It's so goddamn <laughs> good. And I love it so much. And it's fun. And it's fun, which is the best part. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, you know, a lot of the movies that we, we end up talking about on this podcast are sort of like fun to make fun of with your friends movies. Um, I don't know if this falls into that same category for me. Um, it's, it's definitely a bit more heavy on the drama. And while the action set pieces are very, very cool, I think it's some of the best fight choreography I've seen in a while. I don't know if I quite had as much fun with it as you did, as someone who's not as big of oh, a Roman history buff, not. but I do. <laughs> I guarantee you did not. <laughs> <laughs> Almost certainly not. Uh, but I still enjoyed watching it, I think, uh, as a more serious film than something that I, I, I have not had a lot of control over which movies I've watched recently. Um, <laughs> And they've ranged from National Treasure to Jupiter Ascending. So having a, a more serious movie was a nice change of pace for me. So I, I don't know if I'd recommend this as like something to watch with friends. But like you were saying, if you want to take a moment to like think about think about topics a bit more uh, intently, or if you're looking for an entryway into sort of an, a picture of Rome or an idea of Roman yeah, history, I think like this is, this a, is a great, this is a great film for that. Into, to history. Mm -hmm. This is like the kind of thing where it's like if if you want... Like, if you want to show a friend, like, oh, yeah, I know this is what I do for a living. Oh, well, what's that? Oh, Gladiator. Um, it, it's a good movie to watch either by yourself or with, like, one other friend. It's not, it's mm -hmm. not, a, it's not a movie night movie. It's not a group for hang. Sure. Yeah. Uh, definitely not a group hang. Uh, <laughs> funny thing happened on the way to the forum, on the other hand. That's a group movie. Um, <laughs> this feels like a movie it's... where if I was watching it with my dad because it was just, like, on... Uh, like on TV and we were flipping channels, he would skip around to the gladiator fights and then skip all of the other scenes. So maybe if you just watch, which, which is valid if frustrating. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's objectively well-made and it is very, very good. So yeah. it, I think it's just one of those movies where you have to be in the right mood for it. Oh yeah. Um, if, if you're not ready for it, it's not going to be, it's not going to be right. And if you're not interested in it, it's not going to land. But mm -hmm. if you're like, if you're curious 
this is definitely a, a, a good movie because it's it's one of those rare like you know popcorn mass market movies that is actually like really goddamn good and it won best picture like i love the marvel movies none of those are winning best picture <laughs> <laughs> oh the only no one way. that came close was black panther uh and that was even like we're not going to give this best picture but maybe we'll make a separate category for for best plebeian movie and it's like okay guys come on way to be an <laughs> asshole about it all right like, all right it's it, it's so cool because it is like a great example of what a drama can do and what an action movie can do and what a you know what what a a popcorn summer blockbuster movie can do that is so much more than what all of those usually are mm -hmm. and it's not the best drama it's not the best action movie it's not the best summer blockbuster popcorn you know flick but it is a little bit of all of those and that is rare and we haven't really seen anything like it since and Ridley Scott, the director, has been trying to chase that high for years with, uh, with Robin Hood, <laughs> with Exodus Gods and Kings, with Kingdom of Heaven, uh, which is a movie about the Crusades. Um, and and he, never, he never quite got it like he did with Gladiator. So this is, no. is one of those rare Hollywood movies that just kicks so much ass, is useful for history, strangely, and mm -hmm. is just a good-ass movie. Um, and that is special, uh, exceedingly rare yeah. and very special. Yeah. Well, on that note, you know, Blue, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, where could listeners find potentially more information on, say, I don't know, Roman history, if they were interested after watching uh, Gladiator? <laughs> oh, well, uh, you know, halfway through the podcast, I didn't say because you were in the middle of saying something. I'm like, holy shit, I have a lot of thoughts about this. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you can uh, find us on overly sarcastic productions um which statistically you probably know about but i shouldn't assume um uh where actually in a few weeks time i will have a video out on the crisis of the third century which is basically everything that happened after commodus and how much it actually went to shit instead of what the ending of gladiator implies uh so that will be <laughs> the very true fun. ending yeah exactly it's sort of our it's our take on how it should have ended i guess <laughs> Yeah, 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 so... Except uh, it's how it actually if, ended. If you want more Blue talking about Roman history, stay tuned um, uh, for, mm -hmm. for late uh, August. Yeah, late August. But, yeah. Thank you so much, Indigo, for having me on. I appreciate you being patient with me because I was uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, and then I was waiting and waiting and waiting, and I had to move house and this and that, and I'm like, wait, Gladiator, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, it was definitely worth the wait. And thank you, uh, Blue, so much for joining me today on Movie Struck. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks with another Rip Roaring episode. But uh, for now, I think we have a family, specifically a wife and son and a farm that we both got to get back to at some point. So I think that we'll wrap it there. Yep. <laughs> I didn't beat Red's runtime, but oh boy, did I come close. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on August 2nd to talk about 1965's Beach Blanket Bingo, but if you have any questions, comments, or concerns before then, feel free to write to the show at moviestruckpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And for more of Blue, check out links to Overly Sarcastic Productions' YouTube channel and more in the show notes below.